Jim, everybody, welcome to LexLine. Let me give Jenko a chance to jump in and we'll start the conversation. If you wouldn't mind, please retweet the room. Let's fill it up. Thank you for joining us today. Well, everybody, welcome to LexLine, brought to you by our friends at Rug Radio in conjunction with yours truly, Carlo and Jenko. Jenko's in the process of coming up as co-host, so let me get our little disclaimer out of the way. As always, nothing we talk about should ever be considered legal or financial advice. If you have a specific legal question, you should talk to a lawyer, do it privately, not on a recorded Twitter space, because we record these and we do rebroadcast them, as you all know, or you need to know these are available on spotify and apple podcast so check us out if you can't make the full space and please retweet the room this is an important conversation and uh excited to jump into it jenko what is good my man what's up carlo Ooh, what kind of microphone you got there jenko no microphone walking in i can't connect my uh Normal. How's it sound? Better or worse? It sounds fine. It sounds fine. I got birds chirping in the background. Yeah, I'm walking into the house. Little snowstorm here. Oh, Oh. what a 24 hours it's been in this space. Yeah, a lot of things. I'm trying to get caught up. Um, Where do you want to begin? Well, I think, you know, the fact that this attorney general's office in New York has dropped this lawsuit... Um, and made a claim that ETH is a security, and it's based on this theory that it's a security based on the, quote, efforts of others, I think is an important conversation for us to jump into here. Um, It's probably one of the reasons that we're seeing some serious market downturn, that plus this major bank that is uh, imploding as we speak in real time, and uh, <laughs> all the other interesting challenges, including, including some tax reform that is being proposed to tax the electricity on crypto mining of Bitcoin. So I think we jump into the, uh, to the ETH lawsuit. What do you think? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I'm not. It's compelling and interesting. I, I don't have an opinion. You know, I, I, I can't shed any enlightenment on it. I, my mind goes to like where the demarcation is between state and federal on this specific question. And I know it's almost strategic from like one side to like make it almost, um, it's not even just complex. It's almost like, inanswerable like the lines are 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 blurry so i i don't even know where to begin on like what does it mean and where's the scope of authority 
if a state attorney general makes this claim, would the courts in that situation or the adjudicator like use the same federal test? And then depending on, on what they rule, how does that impact other states and the federal government? So like, I, I have more questions than any sort of answer or- How about I do this? How about I break it down for the folks who may not be familiar with the ins and outs of the lawsuit, and then we can jump into that conversation and try to answer those questions. Very okay. cool. So the New York Attorney General's office filed a lawsuit. I pinned the link up, but basically their lawsuit is against a trading platform called Qcoin, K-U-C-O-I-N. The allegations are that Qcoin sold ETH, Luna, and UST, which they regard under the Martin Act in New York State as being commodities and or securities, and that by doing so, they are trading in these securities in violation of the requirement that they register with the Office of the Attorney General. So that's kind of the the baseline for the lawsuit, that they're basically transacting without the proper authority in unregistered securities. And then they pivot to making their case that ETH is a security. And the crux of their point is that the development and management of ETH is largely driven by a small number of developers who hold a position in ETH and stand to profit from its growth. They kind of break down the Ethereum Foundation and the founder of Ethereum, Vitalik Buterin, as being individuals and, and, and a group of individuals who receive a portion of the funding raised in ETH's initial coin offering, and that they hold, obviously, a stake in the outcome of ETH, and that the Ethereum Foundation and its governing documents, according to the lawsuit, describe the promotional efforts in the development and execution of ETH, And then they tie it all up by basically saying that when they transition to proof of stake consensus, that essentially is the pathway to this expectation of profit from staking and that the foundation and these stakeholders and people who have this share in Ethereum as founders, their efforts essentially translate into the efforts of others that you would look at under, I guess, the Howey test to conclude that Ethereum is a security. That's kind of a very, very broad (laughs) TDLR about what's going on here. But it seems to be they're hung up more on the efforts of others component of the test. Well, you'd have to hit all the components of the test. I don't know about hung up, but they probably spend time on it because that's that seems like a, 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 a con, like a more novel approach, whether right or wrong. It's not normally you'd see like management, you know, this is kind of a concentrated, loose set of actors. Um, very interesting. Matt knows a lot about this and follows that jurisdiction close. What's up, Matt? Hey, everybody. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting. I used to work for that office so um i didn't do investor protection but i mean that that they the new york state attorney general's office because of the the martin act and other uh laws has jurisdiction over wall street and 
a lot of the activities that, you know, you would traditionally think of as Wall Street and, and the federal government can have concurrent um, prosecutions as well. But I mean, I I understand that it's kind of sticker shock for a lot of people to, to look at this and to say, well, in order to make out their allegations, they need to use uh, tokens and say that they're securities and, and yada, yada, yada. But people have been we've we've been warning and not warning, but saying that this is likely what could happen when it was, uh, you know, discussed. So this isn't I mean, I, I think a lot of this was was expected at some point. Maybe I guess people are a bit surprised that it's coming from a. A, a state attorney general, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I figured that this was going to come up at some point in some filing, uh, you know, where there would be an argument that, especially when things transferred over to proof of stake, that you know, ETH is going to be a security. So it's not much of a, I guess, a surprise to me. Um, but I think it's a bit of sticker shock. Yeah, it, it definitely came on a day when we've got a lot of a lot of FUD uh, going down. And I think we have, Jenko, discussed this on previous occasions and the concern that when the network was upgraded, whether that would somehow implicitly suggest efforts of others uh, as being uh, in play here as a, as a point of as a point of debate. Ira, you're in the house as well. Matt, thank you for your insights on the New York side of this. Ira, you are uh, very well steeped in understanding the Ethereum Foundation and the origin, the origination of ETH. So I'd love to get your thoughts on this development. All right. So my, my initial thoughts are to completely avoid the merits of this, of this issue. And, you know, looking through the complaint, the first thing that strikes me is the procedure. I mean, that's usually where I start anyway. And procedurally, like you mentioned, it's claiming really important substantive issues regarding Ethereum and the origins of Ethereum. And it talks about going all the way back to the mid uh, 2014 or so with the start of Ethereum. And then it discusses the change from proof of work to proof of stake. So the first thing that strikes me is, what's the statute of limitations? <laughs> okay, that's where I begin. And then, of course, you don't have a nice journey on the statute of limitations of the Martin Act because um, New York's highest court, somewhere around 2018, 2019, said it's a three-year statute of limitations. So then um, Governor Cuomo gets involved and the New York State Legislature changes it to six years. And then I start looking at the legislative history and all of the legal scholarly nerds talking about, well, maybe you can't do retroactive application of a six-year statute of limitations. So maybe it really is three years. And then I see some sort of ambiguous contradictions to that. But I'd have to say that the first place I would start would be, what's the rule on the statute of limitations? it seems like it's more likely than not still going to be three years because you don't want to retroactively apply a statute of limitations change, especially after New York's highest court said it was three years under the old statute. And then you start looking at, okay, if I can only go back three years in this case, 
well, there wasn't really kind of an initial coin offering in the last three years. It was kind of just uh, an upgrade in how Ethereum and how that system works. And so now we don't really have a pure play. They didn't actually plead this in a way that really laid it out nicely. Even, you know, frankly, um, the government should be a model litigant. They have, a, a, you know, I would argue a heightened duty of good faith and candor to the court to plead things in a certain way so the court could really tee things up. So procedurally, the way I look at it is, is that they don't plead this issue regarding statute of limitations. They ignore it. They, I didn't see the Howey test elements laid out um, as it relates to the Ethereum. Um, and, and so that's another issue. And then like other cases that we've seen, um, they don't lay out what the agreement was that people agreed to who got Ethereum, like in the Coinbase case, where that was very, very important. In fact, Coinbase got their case dismissed in federal court. And then they don't even name Ethereum, the Ethereum Foundation, or um, the founders of Ethereum. So then the next issue then would be, are they a necessary party? who could be prejudiced in the absence of being joined. And that issue is not addressed either. So for me, I don't want to really opine right now on whether it's a security or not. I think you probably know where I stand on that. But I got to say that I like to see the procedural issues addressed. And, you know, maybe they can cure them. Maybe these are weighty issues that will be addressed and will weigh in favor of the broad and very, very flexible nature of the Martin Act, which it is true. It is very broad and flexible. doesn't require even scienter. It's almost like a strict liability type of statute. And they are basically claiming these things are unregistered securities, which would follow, you know, probably fit under that. So that's my opening salvo for this morning. You nailed it. I, uh, I want to pull out the chessboard and I want to strategize on this thing, which is what we like to do here, because it, it is one of those cases, again, where the, the lawsuit's being brought against a trading platform, but it's raising a much broader, complex issue that affects the entire ecosystem. And now who's going to respond and who's going to defend Ethereum in this thing? That's what I'm curious about, because you raise these procedural hurdles, but you've also got a trading platform that is in the line of sights for this lawsuit that could settle and may not have a huge incentive to defend whether ETH is a security or not. So where does that largely leave the defense of ETH? Well, who's ETH? And, and maybe the, they're not a party, okay. right? Well, that's the point. That's why. That's the point. Yeah. Yeah, but then they won't be. be dismissed for failure to the failure to join necessary party. The court could dismiss under you know, in Cal in New York. I think it's a thousand and one. But anyway, it's um, under their rules of procedure, which mimic the federal rules. If the court determines that because of these allegations, you know, the Ethereum Foundation or the founders of ETH or Vitalik or whatever are a necessary an indispensable party, they could dismiss this case unless they the, go ahead and amend it. What What about the strategy? Maybe it's silly. 
But if those necessary, indispensable, unnamed parties each come in with their own counsel and their own objectives, and it kind of shows how they're not in concert. If they come into the case, namely a joinder, which is essentially what the statute says, then that issue goes away. In other words, when this thing is typically an issue... Or even a friend of the court. What if they just try and intervene in one way or another? Yeah, yeah, yeah. unwise. Unwise. The the way this normally works, and and I've seen it work in, in, in IRL, is that you have a party who needs to be joined, and the absence of it, they will be unfairly prejudiced. So the court would either say, you know what, try serving them or try joining them or whatever. And if you can't, sometimes the court will dismiss the case. You could replete it so that maybe there's no prejudice to them. Sometimes the court will say, you know what, Um, I do not believe that they are an indispensable party, but kind of a lower status where it would be good to have them, but I could still do justice and they will not be prejudiced. I'm only raising the issue right now because it is a giant glaring red flag when, you know, you have the Ethereum Foundation, you know, and folks who are the founders of Ethereum in the United States, perhaps maybe even in Brooklyn, New York. And so for me, I'm just wondering, what's the strategy right here? Why go ahead and asymmetrically attack the integrity of perhaps the entire backbone of what we call the blockchain in a material way? And basically not go through the step of literally naming them as a party to have a fair uh, due process. That's, that, to me, seems to be inconsistent with the model litigant and, and their duties. So that's 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 the bingo. And then now the question, too, is because you raised this issue of statute of limitations as it applies to ETH, would that same exception apply to Luna? Because Luna is one of the other, quote unquote, securities that they're alleged to have transacted in without the proper licensing. So can they shoehorn this in with Luna? Well, you know what? I mean, look, the the first thing that I'd be thinking about would be finding the super smart folks who graduated NYU Law School who are steeped in the legislative history of what happened over the last few years with that statute of limitations. And we'd be arguing three years. And that's usually done in a motion to dismiss. Interesting debate. And now the question, too, is, is is QCoin, in the absence of any intervening parties, is QCoin positioned to defend this? Because are we going to see a situation how where we're going to have uh, Amici briefs filed by all kinds of different advocacy groups? Is that even possible under New York procedure? Oh, yeah. And I expect that it will certainly becoming because I, I don't think the office realized the implications and, and what what filing a complaint like this maybe would do so i would expect that so it is possible procedurally under new york law matt they can you, you as far as far as i know yeah i don't think there's anything that that expressly pro- prohibits that as, as far as as far as i know i mean i could be wrong but yeah and and as to whether they'll be named as a party. um, I don't know. You could also, they could also be involved in the case as a non-party, but 
um, you know, if if they're really necessarily necessary or indispensable and or indispensable, um, yeah, the, those are those are interesting. And and they're all all the tokens could be in that situation. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to unpack and think about, you know, what may happen if all of a sudden somebody does come on defendant's behalf and appears and resolves the case. And it's resolved just, you know, by settlement. Nobody admits anything. Uh, go away. Then what are you left with? I mean, Im- imagine if you have a settlement with, with some with some with some teeth in it where they admit admit to some wrongdoing. And then uh, we admit that we sold on, you know, these unregistered securities. So it, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. I think it is a bit of sticker shock for everybody. Um and I think everybody's still kind of unpacking a lot of it and we can talk about it for Ira, a while. Here's a question. Okay. Let's say that that settlement happens and let's say that there is a negative finding. It has a tremendous chilling effect on the state of New York, which is viewed still as a real, uh, a real place of financial innovation. And it is still looked at as one of the biggest, uh, in the world, uh, places where we transact business. So what would it mean if we had a concession here that in the state of New York, ETH is a security? What the hell does that do to <laughs> to New York? All right. So let's go back to law school for a second. Um, that for me, that's a very long time ago. Um, but <laughs> And let's remember, we have like a continuum. We have concepts like race judicata. And collateral estoppel and you have to look at party alignment and here obviously ETH Ethereum is not a party so then we look at something that's kind of a you know the a weaker lighter version which would be what I, I like what you're calling it to a, a chilling effect um, and that's probably what it would be if Ethereum wasn't a party and somebody entered into an agreement and it's not a class action it would be the chilling effect it wouldn't be and, you know, it, it wouldn't even be precedent if a court didn't find it. It would be a private party. In, fra- in fact, you know, in some ways, that's exactly what the strategy would be if you're KuCoin's counsel and you got a lot of bad facts that are not really related to Ethereum is, you know, you, you represent clients, not causes. And if it helps your client. You give you up know, Ethereum. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> They roll on Ethereum and stand up, and then, and then no, Corleone's don't. brother, Vitalik's brother, is in the back, Carlo, of the of the testimony, and you all of a sudden it, he forgets. It's not that. It's not not that you're rolling on them. It's, yeah, it's but you're emphasizing. Well, because I mean, for them, it's it doesn't really matter. I mean, if they're out of business, they're out of business, and they can enter into a deal. And I do agree, though, that an unresolved claim by the attorney general. You know, when you walk into court, when you're the attorney general and you make claims like that in a pleading, um, it needs to be supported by a good faith belief, you know, in the truth, like a Rule 11 type thing. I think the chilling effect has already occurred. It's bad for business. Precisely. Like the, yeah, the, the chilling really effect is, is, is real and it's kind of on the lawyers in a sense, because now a, a, pre, a counsel would sit down with the attorney and say or with the client and say, yeah, we, it's just as ambiguous as it was three months ago, 
But we do know that the AG in New York took these actions and KuCoin pled or settled to X, Y, and Z. And like, that's where the bucks, you, that's the only info we have to go on. But here's the thing, here's the thing. So it's very powerful chilling effect. I I guess the question I really have for the New York attorney general, you know, look, I think that in our heart of hearts, a lot of us respect somebody making that claim. I mean, we just may disagree with it. We may disagree with it in a very passionate way. But we certainly respect somebody just making that claim. It's a claim that we talk about all the time in in, uh, Web3 law. But it seems to me, it feels, and I hope I'm wrong, it feels like it didn't go through enough internal debate on the risks, the benefits, the pros and the cons, the impact on New York State's economy as a center of, uh, of Internet and e-commerce, you know, kind of a bastion and a leader. Um, and I know a lot of the folks in the tech community in New York, and I know the various nonprofits that are involved. It would seem to me like that kind of pleading where it could be construed to mean not just the exact implementation by KuCoin, but rather an attack on the integrity of ETH and Ethereum would need to go through a whole bunch of internal discussion and analysis on, on the impact on the New York state and, and U.S. economy. I don't feel like it. 100, I mean, 100 percent. But forget the intern. The internal is one thing, but wouldn't you, you already made the other point, Ira, which I think is equally as powerful there. It feels, or it seems like it's an end around and they're not putting, they're not, it's not a, a, a true, just kind of equal fight against the, perpetrators of an unregistered security you know like like they're trying to get an end around um instead of having the heavyweight fight but i don't know it it feels like somebody worked off a checklist without it going through significant internal thought about its impact on the local economy and this may be one of those scenarios where if they said okay besides being on a checklist my job as attorney general is not to be the attorney general for like this one theory, but for all the people in the state of New York, including those who may own Ethereum, whose value Ethereum may go down right now. I feel like that being the attorney general for maybe a small group, but not the attorney general for all the people of the state of New York, unless of course, and I'm humble, I'll be humble and I'll apologize. They really thought the heck out of this thing through a think tank and they think the, the pros outweigh the cons. If they did, I apologize. If they didn't, then I would say... If, if, Ethereum, becomes, if, if Ethereum becomes a pariah on Wall Street and nobody wants to touch it because of the possibility of being wrangled into an unregistered security lawsuit on Wall Street, I mean, that's a big ripple effect. Matt, I, I, am I missing something here? I mean, this is, this is a monumentally huge thing that impacts the hub of finance in the United States. It, it, it wouldn't, it, well, any settlement wouldn't have any, it would have a chilling effect, but it wouldn't have any real legal consequences. But, but, but I mean, Matt, that's the, the effect. The I, I understand. I don't, I'm not, I'm, I understand. I don't doubt it. I, I understand. And just, if you want to take a look, I mean, this is just, this is public. You could see on the, the AG's website, they're, you know, they're hiring senior people 
that would would probably have been or you know um might be in the future involved with this so that's an interesting uh aspect i i will say uh but when 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 she when they make the decision to do something like this they have to make a strategic decision did did they think about it at a level of of what it's going to do to cryptocurrency you know, probably not but there there's certainly going to be an analysis done and whether it can help whoever it's going to help the pros outweigh the cons i don't think it was some flippant decision that was made but perhaps um you know, there maybe there could have been some some more thought, uh, but this is it done in good faith. I mean, you, you look at the allegations, you look at this bad actor. Maybe they could have been a little bit more uh, conscious. But look, I mean, it, it is what it is, and at least somebody put it out there, and uh, you have other people doing it. And for me, the the issue is th- this just muddies the waters because y- you have companies and you have uh, people trying to build and they don't know what to do and you have it has somebody you have uh, the, the the chairman of the sec saying well no everything is cool we've got our our securities regulations of course you're saying that because you're just regulating by enforcement and everybody has to get a piece of these companies and it's that's fundamentally unfair and for me the bigger picture here and you're seeing so you're not you're not you're you're labeled a com- unregistered commodity. You're labeled an unregistered security. You're getting uh, PCU uh, coming after you from the DOJ, from your state attorney general. Who's next? Your local no. county district attorney. They everybody wants a piece of you, and the reason is because yeah, there are some tests out there. There are some regulations. Yeah, and and it and it, and it, look, we're functioning, we're alive, but it certainly is not the way it should be, and it's broken. And that's why you've got and you have cases like this where somebody brings the case maybe. And yeah, certainly in good faith, I believe, in my opinion. But look at the effects it has because of all these other issues and the bigger picture. It just emphasizes the the need that we really we really do need clarity, somebody to step it up so people at least know what they're dealing with when they decide to do business, create and build. Well, Well, here's the thing. All right. So let's get up. Let's move. Let's move back for a little bit and look at the bigger picture right here. Um, first of all, there's a good argument to be made that with this particular allegation, somebody should have walked across the street to the Southern District of New York's office and had a conversation with them. The this is also pointing out. And by the way, uh, we don't question the good faith part. I started off by basically saying we can certainly appreciate weighty arguments in both directions on these issues. Okay. Um, procedural issues aside, the Southern District of New York probably was the right office for this. And, and then why? Why? A lot of these state securities laws arose out of state things, things that are, you know, traditionally within the state ambit, things that weren't really on the Internet. Wall Street is physically located in New York. But, you know, California has a similar type of statute. So why is that an issue? You know, I've had these kinds of cases, you know, back in, this reminds me a lot of a case that I had back in the 2000 regarding the constitutionality of legislating what goes into email headers. It's called the Dormant Commerce Clause. The country should act as one on certain types of issues. For me, if New York has a rule 
that is harsh because it's state court thinks that something may be a security and Wisconsin doesn't and Utah doesn't and, and California doesn't think it's a security. And now we have balkanized state laws on something that's over the Internet and that's global where the G20 met and came up with recommended rules for each country to implement and for a state to go ahead and implement a much more archaic rule that's flexible in this kind of context seems to be inconsistent with, with the Dormant Commerce Clause, where some things are designed to be basically national in nature, like mud flaps. You know, if, I, if you drive over from Nevada to California and California requires a fee for small mud flaps, that would be a violation of the Dormant Commerce Clause. It, it in, impacts interstate commerce. So for me, I think the bigger issue here, too, is that New York is essentially legislating this for all of the United States. Because we have absolutely no idea how we we can't even set up an IP address firewall to stop electronic messages from touching New York when it comes to Ethereum. So for me, I also think if there's going to be legislation coming down the road, it's going to probably have to be on the federal level and it's going to have to preempt all state laws. Because I think the New York Attorney General just pointed out to us today the absolute vulnerability in a patchwork of balkanized. And that puts it in the line of sights to go to the Supreme Court to be hashed out if it doesn't go well and if it gets appealed. Uh, yeah, very, very, very good point, Ira. I look at the drafting of the complaint, I, too. I just want to interject on this. I look at the drafting of the complaint, and I see so many discovery minefields here that I think the AG has pretty much thrown in their own way with respect to how do you get discovery on all these allegations about ETH? Well, you could, you could subpoena I'm not giving them ideas. They could subpoena it, but that points out the fallacy because you don't have a voice who stands up in court to say, uh, Your Honor, um, I represent Ethereum, the Ethereum Foundation, and I'm moving Yeah, protective I order. Who's going who's gonna to protect Ethereum here? Well, that's a subpoena. good point. If, it, if, if many different parties step up and it's not an in-concert defense... The judge may see things differently, but there's that. I don't question the good faith either, but fundamentally, without getting into the substance, and it almost undermines the substance when they choose not to hit it on the head and go after those parties who they will be subpoenaed. You know, so so that's where I. It may be that they did talk to the Southern District, Ira, and it may be that they exactly. that this is their test case and they throw everything at them and they're trying to backdoor it to set up a, a case against Vitalik next year. I don't I, I don't know. I would be I'm I would be very surprised if this was not discussed with other um, important players, Southern District and beyond, but you know, the Southern District the Southern District, when they go after FTX and others, strikes me as much more nuanced. And what I'm seeing right here seems like almost a throwaway. I don't see the, all the elements made out. I see kind of more like a, a gestalt allegation. And I would acknowledge that the Martin Act is much more flexible and doesn't require as much as federal law. But to me, this almost seems so so flimsy and so weak that it's enough just to to chill have a chilling effect 
but doesn't describe with particularity the elements and why they're met to make out a prima facie case, um, who knows? <clears throat> it could be they'll amend the complaint. But um, for me, I, I just, if I, if I had to guess, I'm guessing that there were not nuanced conversations because if there were, you'd have, a, you know, you'd have a lot more detail in this pleading. Not that it's required. It may be for some of the elements, but it would be more than just kind of this throwaway E thing. Um, so I'm guessing that they may come back to regret this um, part of the complaint. And by the way, again, I want to reiterate, um, this is not saying that other parts were not, you know, or that this wasn't brought in good faith. I'm simply saying that it seems to be unwise. Excellent points, Ira. And, I, I you know, we, we talk strategy here, and there's definitely, it's fair game to talk about what went into the strategy here and procedurally how they're going to maneuver through this thing. So, I mean, it's fair game. I, I don't think anyone's talking bad faith here, but we definitely are concerned about the, the collateral results of this, the chilling effect of this, and also procedurally, how is this going to play out? Uh, Johnny, you came up to talk. What are your thoughts on this, Johnny? Yeah, I got a question. Um, I, I took my bar exam last month, so I don't, this could have been. Congrats, a, man. This could, well, I took it. I don't know if I passed it. We'll see. Uh, it's, this looks to me like immediate uh, defense removes it to the federal court and impledes Ethereum or something like that. If you're their counsel, does, is, that, is there a strategy in that? Don't you want to be in federal court? Way to bring Carlo, the Civ Pro you, to the house, can you Johnny. Remove enforcement actions in the same way you can remove civil actions, or is that diversity I, more towards civil action? I don't know that you. He, well, there's the impleader is is in play, just like Ira was mentioning. You can amend and make them a, a direct, like a, you know, make Ethereum a direct party, or the defendants can implead them um, as a third party player, third party defendant. And they would still have, you know, be there and have a stake in the outcome, so to speak. I guess that's a bad pun, bad, bad word to use. But um, removing it to federal court, I don't think you can remove it. But that's an interesting argument that I think you might be able to make in a creative way to a certain court. But interesting question. Birdnalls, that brought you up pretty quick. What do you think about that? Procedurally, Civ Pro. Can you remove this state action to federal court? Um, well, I mean, that would require KuCoin to show up, and there's like a 1% chance they show up. They, they've been sued in Canada. They've been sued in other states. They've been sued elsewhere for other like money transmitter issues, things like that. They, they're just they're a, they're a fly-by-night company. They, will just, like, they just won't show up. Are they just going to default on I this thing? I didn't know that. That changes yeah. the whole context. That's oh, really important boy. because – what happens then if there's a default? See, the removal of an enforcement, like you can't remove a, a criminal kind of enforcement. I, I, I'm going to check that, but I, I don't think because removal is under diversity, which is more civil. Um, but yeah, bur burden else. I want to get back to that point. If there is a default, then you get the headline that they sold an unregistered security named ETH, right? And they were found guilty. Yeah, or this is, by default. 
they brought a good company that they know probably isn't wow. going to show up. Maybe they show up. Maybe I'm wrong, but they haven't shown up in any other litigations. There's nothing to say that they would hear. Um, so they get a default. They do that, and this is a this is a shot across the bow for any other company that rep, that uh, that operates an exchange in New York because everybody sells ETH and everyone's going to continue to sell ETH um, to be a hey, we've done it before, we can do it again kind of thing. And I mean, I don't know. It's not like Coinbase is super worried about New York coming after them for the sale of ETH. Like it's not, not like they're going to be like, they're going to stop selling. Why do you say, that. wait, why do you say that? Because that was my first thought. Like what the hell is arms like Coinbase thinking right now? And you brush it off and just depress, but what's that bait? Just walk me through. I don't, dis- but like, why, why do you so easily conclude like they're not worried? They, they have a billion dollar uh, uh, war chest that they've been waiting for the SEC from, which, I mean, nothing against Matt's, uh, Matt's uh, defense of the state. Yeah, they're already office. under it with the feds. Yeah, but they, but they, having money to defend yourself is different. I took your phrase. I took what you said to maybe wrong to, to mean that they're not worried that they would go after them. I guess they're not – they're up for the fight, but if – something is filed against Coinbase, that chilling effect is a magnitude greater than any KuCoin um, um, chilling effect. And that's pretty large. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think I'm, I, I think that the way I see it is that they're not super worried about it and the fact that they already have the defense lined up and ready to go regardless okay. of who brings it, whether okay. it be the SEC or the states or anything else. But there are some market else. implications, potentially, and geez. P- potentially, okay. but I don't see, like, Kraken or anybody else, like, that stops selling ETH because of because they go after Coinbase. No, they wouldn't else. change like, your yeah. behavior, but the market may see things differently. Um, if they get a headline that now there's a lawsuit that New York AG is going after Coinbase, that is an interesting development to me even if they're gearing up for an sec fight like a two-front war isn't ideal so I, I i think that there's that's really important relevant information in my calculus when you said that kucoin likely wouldn't step up and do any defense carla what do you think thanks for adding that bernos maybe carlo got lost or maybe i'm rugged Bernal, you still there? Yeah, no, I can. I, oh, can yeah. hear I, I got a little alert that says host seven connection issues. That might be Carlos said. Oh, that's fine. Is there anything else that we can kind of um, move on? Mike, you jumped up. Was there something for you to add, please, on any topic? Uh, just, yeah. Thanks I for joining, gonna, dude. Thanks. No problem. Um, I was going to respond to the removal. Um, yeah, please. Like you're closest to to the professor, you know, like the schooling. Yeah. Um, if if for the removal, I was under the impression that if, if the basis of the lawsuit was for the market uh, was from the Martin Act, then you wouldn't be able to remove to federal court because it's based on adequate and independent grounds. Love it that we, we can I'll take you at your at your word and confirm it if we want. Matt, did you? Have I think that? No, I think I think a creative defendant might say um make that part of a motion to dismiss but yes i mean this is like meant for uh 
for well, that's the state. Was kind of talking about that. Yeah. Like you're going to fight everything if you fight right. this thing. I think that, that I think it. I I think that that would be certainly fair game to throw in there. Hey, um, yeah, absolutely. If they, if that's the route to go, I I hope somebody shows up. 